Our gospel lesson this morning is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And if you are a place where you're able to do so, I invite you to stand at the reading of the gospel. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said on the law of the Lord. A pair of doves are two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the scriptures contain the cosmic, but at the same time the very personal story of God, of creation, and relationship that God has with human beings and for me, it's both this linear story with a time and place, but it's also nonlinear because many of these stories come back to themselves along the way. These texts have the consistent yet almost cyclical focus on a story, an overarching story that includes things like creation and birth, heaven and earth, life and death, peace and strife. And in the Gospels, we follow the life of Jesus Christ. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And each book and poem and song and letter and gospel, they're written by those who had experienced some through stories and some through eyewitness accounts of God acting in the world. Yet so that following generations might come to know and believe this story. Now, Luke is one of the most thorough at writing for us. He's writing to first-generation 
Christians who were not eyewitnesses, increasingly so, not eyewitnesses to the story of Christ and the life. And those who had seen things firsthand, well, many had died and or were getting older. And some of them died as martyrs. There had been a consistent belief that Jesus would soon return and usher in the fullness of God in their lifetime. And perhaps none more than Paul espoused this as he anticipated Christ's return in his lifetime. Yet, decades later, it had not happened yet. And as a result, people began to question the validity of what they believed and of their faith. Jerusalem had long ago fallen during the Jewish-Roman War. Persecution rose from time to time. And the number of those who became followers of Jesus, of those who were Gentiles, had increased, even in Rome itself. Now this came with its own problems. Gentiles, these non-Jewish folks, they didn't know or follow or observe many of the ancient customs that came and were part of this early community of followers. And very often this created conflict among people, sometimes even violent conflict, all due to the diversity of the body of Christ and the, and the lived human experiences being so broad. And one of the real consequences of all these transitions and challenges seemed to be a shift away from the more national and communal vision of Jesus' call and Jesus' vision. And in its place began to develop more of a, a personal idea or interest of salvation. For instance, where Mary sang songs about God and Christ changing the world by lifting the poor and the marginalized, bringing down the wealthy and the powerful, where Simeon talked about Jesus being a revelation that would upset the ways of the world. Many begin to ask, well, if he isn't coming back, what about my salvation? What if I die before Christ returns? Is a question many were asking. So with this absence of Jesus' imminent return, many begin to rethink their expectations. And Luke wants to address that concern. What do we do when we still wait for Christ to come? And this is why we have Acts and Luke's, two different works, two different books in our Bible, but perhaps and likely one piece of work, telling us the story of Jesus and the disciples and the birth of the church, so that those who had not seen such things might come and continue to believe. Therefore, that puts you and I squarely into Luke's audience. And I suppose that this Sunday, this first Sunday after Christmas is, well, it's a perfect time to think about such things. Because there is this letdown. There's this letdown that comes after Christmas. The expectations and the hopes that we carry into that season, even in the year when those expectations were dampened. Well, we get met with the reality of the world, don't we? Financial worries. Our delay on getting online this morning was likely due to violence in our world. is still among us. Struggles that we had before Christmas, well, they're still out in front of us. They haven't gone away. And celebrating the Prince of Peace on Christmas, it didn't eliminate the need for peace, did it? 
And we, may, we need to make sense of that from time to time, right? So this first Sunday after Christmas, we're in that place where maybe we begin to question all that we have just celebrated. But in truth, in these days after Christmas, well, this isn't the only time we experience those things. We, we often have those wonderful moments that are followed up by things that want to pull us down. There are many ways that news or experiences are followed by sobering truths. And often we discover that following Christ, well, it does not always change the fact that we live in a fragile and vulnerable world. The peace that Christ brings at Christmas, like a newborn baby, always needs tending to. It's always fragile. And it can leave us questioning everything at times. So if, any, if in any way that you are sensing this today, if today or these days after Christmas are let down, if, if something has happened in your life that has let you down, Luke is writing to you. Now one of the voices I dearly miss in the world, a voice of the church, is that of Rachel Held Evans. She died very too soon, just a few years ago, but her story in writings bravely address what it's like to be let down by our faith and what we believe. Even though she grew up in the church and I did not, her reflections and thoughts often resonate deeply with my own. Herself, having been raised in the church, there came this time when she began to question everything that she had been taught. Salvation, religious pluralism, biblical interpretation, politics, science, gender, Christian theology. Everything was in doubt for her. So she began this process, much like Luke's, I would imagine, of taking a good hard look at her own ideas, her own notions, her own beliefs. She had grown up hearing, for instance, that you can believe in the Bible or science, but you can't do both. She valued, though, a heartfelt, unquestioned aspect of faith. We need that concreteness. We need to know there are things that do not waver, and she valued that immensely, yet... She also wanted the freedom to think and to, and to ask hard questions. And the older she got, she said that the more fragmented and frayed my faith became. And that's when the real doubt crept in on me. Like an invasive species, like kudzu trellising the brain. What if none of this was true? What if we got this all wrong? What if this is all a big lie? And I suppose that puts her squarely into Luke's audience with us today. As I mentioned, I did not grow up in the church. My early life was very different than hers. Yet I still grew up close enough in, to the church to understand or, or think that the notion or the purpose of the church or following Jesus was almost completely about getting to heaven. That was my understanding. I had heard that if I were not saved or baptized before I died, before Christ came back, well, my soul was in peril. But beyond believing or understanding baptism or saving, I didn't know much more that was expected other than convincing as many people as possible to believe and at the time what I could not believe. But eventually I came to see that in the Christian life it's far more, it's much more than about getting to heaven. It is about the transformation of the world. 
and my doubts began to return to belief. And it was the spark that I needed in my soul. In truth, what I have come to see is that there are many beginnings and endings when it comes to following Christ. There are ups and there are downs, and many times all at the same time. Following Christ consistently ends things and begins things all at once. We're always facing new beginnings and endings, and we're always in the midst of peace and turmoil, love and hate, life and death. And the peace of Christmas, it is fragile at its best. But it does not mean there is nothing to stand firmly on. Yes, Christ's peace is fragile, but it is still peace. And that peace is meant to be in us and among us and for all of us. I think Luke is ingenious when he chooses the people to teach us this lesson today in Simeon and Anna. You see, they've lived their whole life looking and waiting for the Messiah to come. It has been their life's work, this waiting and praying. And based on Luke's words, they started this in earnest in their early years. And in the face of a hard world, they had gone all in on believing that the prophets whom the scriptures and by, the God, and by God who has seemed to have spoken to Simeon, they had believed that the, the arrival of the Savior was soon to come, and they would see it with their own eyes, yet neither had many days left. It still had not happened. And they must have been wondering, is this true? Is it really going to happen? And then Mary and Joseph walk into the temple courtyards, and they have a baby in their hands. I'm quite fond of Frederick Buechner's imaginative way of telling the scriptural stories. And of this story, he once wrote, Jesus was still in diapers when his parents brought him to the temple in Jerusalem, as the custom was, and that's when Simeon spotted him. Years before, he had been told he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And time was running out, though. And when the moment finally came, one look through his cataract lenses was all it took. He asked if it would be all right to hold the baby in his arms, and the mother and father said, yes, but just don't drop him. And then he said, Lord, now let us, thou servant, depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. And all this he said while perhaps the baby's fingers played with the fringes of his beard. Now the parents were pleased as punch, so he blessed them too for good measure. And then something about the mother stopped him, and his expression changed. And what he saw in her face was a long way off, but it was there, plainly, so plainly he couldn't pretend. A sword will pierce your soul, he said. Now, he would have rather bitten his tongue off than to say it. But in that holy place, he felt he had no choice. Then he handed the baby back and departed in something less than the perfect peace that he had dreamed of all these years. Anna, just after, who was 84, had waited most of her life in the temple. And she finds peace now. Now she can go and tell others 
that her life of prayer had finally been rewarded. But the fragile nature of this moment is very apparent. They know full well that the days ahead will not all be peaceful. Oh, if we could only come to know who Christ is and just ride out our days in comfort, resting in the joy that we are God's people. If only we could hover above the manger a little longer, keep Jesus wrapped up nice and tight and to take care of this baby forever. If only the birth of Christ and the peace of Christmas, now that we celebrate it, would permeate every crook and corner of this world where darkness of hatred and violence and sickness and doubt want to thrive in us and in the world. If only. But John Carroll reminds us, just as Simeon reminded Mary and Joseph that beyond the life, death, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus, Jerusalem will not be liberated. Instead, it will be ravaged. The world being what it is, economic and political and military systems being what they are, peace is a fragile promise. It is an elusive gift. You see, God's work of salvation, of freeing and restoring people in a world mostly overcome with formidable counterforces towards that peace, somehow is incorporated into the agenda of the powers that want to impose a cross upon the Messiah. That is the world for which we lived and live. But there is good news. And the good news today is that Christ is both the consummation and the beginning. He is the fulfillment and he is an expectation. He is Savior and he is Judge. He is one who unites us and divides us. And we live at that intersection where the fragile peace of Christ is always being born and dying all at once. So today, imagine, if you will, as if you are Simeon today, and imagine you're holding that child in your arms, and you know without a doubt that you hold the Savior of us all. But you also know the hard road ahead. Imagine as if you are Mary or Joseph, and you've just seen the joy of Simeon's face, but you've also heard these words of a sword that would pierce your soul. And then as we consider the year that is ahead of us, what could this story teach us today? How can we hold on to the peace that we know in Christ in the days ahead when we most need it? Benjamin Zander is a teacher and a musician. And on the first day of one of his graduate level classes, I believe it is, he announces to everyone in the class that you are receiving an A for the whole semester. Nothing can change that. It is permanent. It is already written in. You get the A. But the only thing I ask you is you write a letter to yourself. And that letter begins with, I gave myself an A because... Now, at the end of the semester, each student receives their A's, receives their letters back, and they see how things went as they compare to their letter. And it affords them to, a moment to reflect on what they did, what they did not do, and it, it gives them a time to, to see the things that happened that they never expected our dream could happen. And what he almost always finds is that students exceed their own expectations. And they discover things about themselves that they would not have 
experienced or known otherwise. And the power of this is that the students experience peace by not working under the typical pressures. It eliminates the pressure of passing or failing. It eliminates the idea that I must be better than the one next to me. It eliminates the need to, what do I need to do to please the teacher this year? Those things are gone. And all they're left with now are the possibilities and the abilities that they've had their whole lives to discover freely and without hindrance. The hard work still needed to be done. And he says many work harder than they ever worked before. So maybe during these 12 days of Christmas, we can do something similar. What if we each wrote ourselves a letter about how peace might live among us over the next year? What if we lived more than those who are waiting on Christ to come, but living as those who know that Christ has come? What if we truly appreciated that God loves us first and freely? What if? What if we no longer felt we needed to, to earn God's favor, but just to live lives that, that were pleasing to God, and that be our reward? What if we valued life beyond death or the fear of death? And what if we looked past divisions among us and sought to be more peaceful and loving and united as a community? Grace means that we've received our A, and I do believe that that is a peace we much need in our world. I have a feeling if we pondered such things and wrote ourselves a letter, that it means we would look to our future with eyes wide open the challenges that will no doubt come in the days and the months ahead, but we will not live as those who are waiting for the proverbial shooter drop. No, we will live in a way that we believe that Christ has come, that we are forgiven, that we have already obtained life eternal. So Christ has come. Now is the time to get to work. Now is the time to be like those who are ready to face all things because we are. It's about committing ourselves to a better life, a better church, a better person, and being better families. It's about all things that lead to life, that lead to redemption and transformation, and bring grace into every relationship. Merry Christmas. Thanks be to God. Amen.